0: a bright golden haze on the meadow There's a bright golden haze on the meadow The corn is as high as an elephant's eye And I don't know the lyrics Clear up to the sky I welcome you to this The latest entry in our Broadway in Chicago series Oh, hello I am here with Benny And we are talking about Rogers and Hammerstein's Oklahoma Yes, that's true We have, in the past We have talked about Oslo, Mean Girls, Once on this Island Summer, The Donna, Summer Musical And most recently We analyzed the Chicago premiere production of Paradise Square. Now, you are probably thinking, hey, 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 wait a minute. Aren't you supposed to be talking about Pretty Woman the musical? Well, I'm here to tell you it never came because the run of performances was cancelled due to a breakthrough, a breakthrough case of COVID. Oh, terrible. Honestly, genuinely terrible. And I, I hope everyone involved with that production is safe and sound and healthy. But here's the thing. Because the production was canceled. I was not able to see Pretty Woman, the musical, and we never recorded an episode, okay? So we had to move on. We had to move on to this, the next subject of our Broadway in Chicago series, which is, I just said it, you don't remember? It's Rodgers and Hammerstein's... <laughs> I almost... <laughs> I, I couldn't remember myself. Rodgers and Hammerstein's Oklahoma. I, I can only remember it if I, if I sing it, I guess. I don't know. Benny, how are we, do- how are you doing? Okay, yes. Good. You're giving me the the traditional classic. Are you wearing like a beanie? Some sort of, you're wearing a novelty hat with like a, okay, you weren't wearing that a second ago, correct? Okay, I'm not absolutely demented. I did not miss that initially. Okay, why are you wearing that? You know what? Don't, Don't put anything in the chat. No, no, I know you don't like to be heard. I I get it, He's zipping. He's making the zip motion across his face, zipping it up. He's zipping his own lips. Well, take that hat off, it's distracting. I don't know how it's moving, the propeller is moving. It's distracting, there's like a light effect, a reflection, a refraction of the light. All right, okay. Listener, I'm sorry, I had to put my attention on Benny for a second. Benny and his novelty hat. Right now, we are going to talk about Rodgers and Hammerstein's Oklahoma. And to do that, we have to paint a picture, right, of the venue, that's the first thing that we do in these Broadway and Chicago episodes. I went to the CIBC Theater on January 15th. 2022, I had never been to the CIBC theater, and I was hoping for an upgrade because, if you remember, I got an upgrade when I went to Paradise Square, and they sent out an email advertising, buy one ticket to Oklahoma, get one free, and I thought, oh, if they're giving away free tickets, maybe that means they're having trouble filling seats. Maybe me, me my mo, me me me, maybe maybe I will get, ooh, a free upgrade to a ground floor seat. That did not happen. They said, go this way. You are in the balcony you go this way you're not going to be talking to anybody there's not going to be a man with a stack of tickets up to his ankle so why don't you go all the way up all the way up into the balcony and you're gonna take your seat and you're gonna like it now here's what I have to say about the CIBC Theater. I never been there before I think I already said that and I was not prepared for this balcony area. The balcony of the CIBC is a perilously steep death trap for all ages. There are no banisters. There's nothing to hold on to and if you don't have a great equilibrium you will absolutely be grasping for the back of a chair. It's basically like climbing down a mountainside. It seems very dangerous. There is no no way there is no way no one has fallen while trying to get to their seat in this balcony area. And I don't know how they have gotten away with this. If you are in a wheelchair, if you are in any way non-able-bodied in the traditional quote-unquote sense, I have no idea how you would navigate this balcony area. They have packed so many seats. There is no leg room. There is no room for a wheelchair. No, absolutely not. It is a punch to the face. It is a thumbing of the nose to anyone who is non able bodied It really stinks. It really sucks. I saw a poor kid, a kid who was so freaked out by the steepness of this balcony that they had to essentially crab walk down the stairs because it was so intimidating. I got intimidated, and I I generally have a fine time in terms of my equilibrium, but... Who knows, in 40 years, if I go back to the CIBC theater, I might take a goddamn tumble. I feel bad for anyone who has to deal with this. I saw so much active struggling, and I feel for all of those people, it really sucks. I also had a straight up bad seat in this balcony. I have been to other venues that host Broadway and Chicago productions, and you go up to the balcony and generally it's fine. You can see the entire stage, but the stage left area of the CIBC was completely cut off from where I was sitting. You could not see a lot of the action that was taking place on that side of the stage. And if anyone was sitting on the lip of the apron, forget it. You're not seeing them. Everybody in the balcony, oh my god. It was as if we were all Pavlov's dogs. If anything happened, stage left or on the apron, we all immediately leaned forward because we paid for a ticket and we can't see what's happening. It stinks. This place was not designed with the theatrical experience in mind. They just wanted to put as many seats in that balcony as possible you can't even put your jacket over the back of the seat are you kidding me you can't put your jacket over the back of the seat because that's where that's where feet are the feet of the person directly behind you hello it is so easy to just kick someone in the skull kick him in the skull don't do that <laughs> but yeah, no jacket room, no leg room. It stinks. I'm not a fan of the CIBC theater. It did not make a good impression on me. I want to hit you up with some show facts at this point. I hope you're ready for some yummy gummy show facts. Our book our book was written by Oscar Hammerstein II. The music was written by Richard Rodgers. And the lyrics were written by Oscar Hammerstein II. The director of this particular production of Oklahoma was Daniel Fish. Blah, blah, blah. Daniel Fish. The music director was Andy Colopy. Orchestrations and arrangements were provided by Daniel Kluger. And the choreographer was John Hagenbotham. We have scenic design from Laura Jelinek. And how would I describe this scenic design? Well, I suppose if you could picture your local college concert hall for a college band or perhaps a, a roaming, traveling opera troupe, you know how all of those college concert spaces are basically just... Home Depot would, but they sort of have like a nice varnish, a nice polish, but it's very anonymous in general, right? It's just sort of like a, a clear, creamy, beige space. A big, open space that you could just plot musicians into. The whole thing is lit in a very garish, bright, sort of fluorescent lighting, and I don't know, oh, maybe I should say, the costume design, Therese Wadden, lighting design, hello, Scott Zielinski, and sound design by Drew Levy. Wow. An impressive sound design, Drew. i I. Just- just, I want to say that right now. In general, I, I was not exactly thunderstruck by the scene design. This very brutal is what it is in terms of the starkness, the minimalism. Oh, there's nothing here. There's nothing here. We have a small pyramid of corn. The tables are all white and the chairs are made out of the same wood that you see on the stage. Ah, the wood. It's all very uniform, and over time the set gets a little messy. There's this idea that the pristine quality, that brutal cleanness, that minimalism is sort of ruined over time but only a little bit? I would have respected this more if by the end of it, the entire set was completely ruined. If it was a chaotic mess on stage by the end of it, I would have understood that we went on a journey, but it only got a little scuffed, a little scruffed up a little bit. And I don't know. It didn't really seem like it was worth it. (laughs) It did not seem as if it were worth my time. Uh, We do have the cast. We must reference the cast. We have Sean Grandillo as Curly. Barbara Walsh as Aunt Eller, Sasha Hutchings as Lori Williams, Hennessy Winkler as Will Parker, Ugo Chuku as Cord Elam, Christopher Bano as Judd Fry, Sis as Addo Annie. Sis is most likely, I will say, the MVP of the production. We will get into that more in just a moment. We have Benj Merman as Ali Hakim, a.k.a. The Peddler. We have a Peddler. Hannah Sallow plays Gertie Cummings. Okay, I, I guess I should say, I'll just pause right here. Gertie the Character of Gertie in this revival of Oklahoma has a running gag where she laughs and the laughter goes on and on into infinity. At one point, she starts laughing on stage, walks off stage, and we can hear her laughing off stage for a solid 90 seconds. And that's the sort of gag that gets a laugh out of an audience. It's more of a guffaw. We're sort of baffled. We don't understand why this joke keeps coming up. We don't really know who this woman is. Gertie Cummings. Who is she? She's a rival for Lori. She's trying to get with Curly. Yeah, that much we understand. But her only real distinguishing characteristic is this hyena laugh. And wow, they enjoyed going back to that well again and again and again. They were thirsty for some laughs, I have to say. And after a while, we were sick of it. I speak for the trees. I speak for the entire audience. We got tired of it. But we're not done with this cast. We also have Mitch Tebow as Andrew Carnes, Patrick Clanton as Mike. And we also have a lead dancer that is Gabrielle Hamilton. When it comes to program observations, you're probably thinking, hey, 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 wait a minute, don't program observations observations come before the show facts traditionally? Huh? Well, not this time. Not anymore. Moving forward, program observations come after the show facts. Okay. Alright, I'm making a big deal out of it, but unfortunately I have nothing to say about this program for Oklahoma, so we are going to keep moving forward. I have one story to tell regarding my audience, the audience I experienced this show with. It involves two adults and a kid. This story is not going to blow your mind. It's not wild. I I have to say this audience did not give me a lot to work with, but I found this interaction noteworthy because I just don't like the way Parents or adult parental figures in general talk to kids sometimes It kind of seems like adult parental figures get off on Checking kids like hey, hey like they're on a leash and I I get really annoyed when I hear exchanges like this So the kid who was completely well-behaved this kid was probably between the ages of 10 and 12 and they seemed perfectly well-behaved and they were within arm's reach of these two adults, but apparently that wasn't good enough. That wasn't good enough because weird adult number one decided to check this kid. They said, hey, what are you doing? Get over here. You're roaming. And then the second weird adult in this scenario said, yeah, roaming. And the kid said nothing and the kid came back into the fold. I I guess because they couldn't see the kid. The kid was behind their backs like, where's the kid? Hello? Where are you? You need to be directly in front of me. I have object impermanence syndrome. Hello? You're roaming. Just shut the fuck up. I know you don't have a personality or any sort of drive or any sort of internal monologue. I know that you just completely are obsessed with with controlling this kid because you have no brain. You have no ability to just be yourself in the moment and assume that your kid is fine. Your kid is not doing anything. They have not said a fucking word. Uh, This story is not exactly as I said, earth shattering or anything like that, but I don't, I really don't like it. (laughs) I'm sorry that you have been saddled with this kid. I'm sorry, but that's not the kid's fault. Shut up. You're fucking roaming mentally. You should be in a home. I'm sending both of you to a home. That's what I'm doing. Goodbye. Should we put this in here, Benny? I want to talk about the free gift that I got. I guess we should just throw this in with the audience observations. Yes. Fine. Okay, so they made a big deal about how subscribers got a free Gift. Don't forget about the free gift. And when I got my free gift, I was, I guess I was a little disappointed because when I hear gift, I think, you know, a box with a ribbon in it and there's something fun inside, like a snow globe or a pair of sunglasses or a t shirt. A t shirt would have been fun. Instead, we all got official Broadway in Chicago face masks. And I mean, thanks, I guess. I mean, I hate to be. I hate to be a burping idiot. (laughs) We're leaving it in. I hate to be a jerk, but we all have masks, okay? It's 2022. We're two years into this pandemic. We're in the theater. I'm double masked, okay? We have enough. I think you could have just gone out of your way to give us something that's a little more fun that doesn't remind us of the fact that this is a risky proposition, that going to the theater is in and of itself a risk now, okay? Maybe, that's not fun. I don't like to associate gifts with risk. (laughs) Here's a gift that reminds you of mortality. Here's a gift that reminds you we only have so much time on this earth. Here's a gift that reminds us that that time can be cut in half, depending on the circumstances. (laughs) Holy crap, (laughs) I mean, I kept the mask I plan to use the mask. I will wear it, let's say, I'll just wear it to the next production. I'm sure it'll make someone very happy. Oh look, they're wearing the mask. I'll wear it. I'll wear it over the other mask that I wear. I have to double mask at the theater. I just, I get very antsy. I get very antsy. Let's do, let's do a quick plot summary for those of you who may not be familiar with Oklahoma. Let's do that right now. Oklahoma is about Curly and Lori. Curly and Lori are in love with each other, but oh gosh, they're so stubborn. They're too stubborn to admit it. They're like characters out of a Chekhov play, except they're not insecure so much as they are arrogant and... Grumpy. They're very arrogant and grumpy and so they refuse to tell each other that they love each other Oh, it's very frustrating. And then we have Judd. Judd is traditionally the villain of the piece. He is also in love with Laurie. Thus, we have formed a love triangle, a a classic love triangle, and in this Revival, Laurie sort of likes Judd. She likes him too, but he also scares the shit out of her. It's- it's very complicated. There's a more love triangle going on and that involves Ado Annie Will Parker and Ali Hakim aka the peddler we have a peddler it's true what you need to know about the pacing of Oklahoma no matter what version of it you're engaging with the, the pacing is in no hurry to move things along the show is in no hurry to move things along I should say there's a box social and a dream ballet and a whole kangaroo court sequence that's all in act two act one is all about dithering everybody's fucking sitting on their own thumbs. Oh, should I? Shouldn't I? What should I do? Oh my gosh, I'm dithering out the wazoo. Would anyone like some corn? Would anyone like a beer? Let's just talk about what we may or may not do for an hour and 24 minutes. We also dedicate a lot of time to a novelty telescope. This is a very big, I don't know if it's a telescope, but it's a big prop. It plays a big part in the plot. This telescope, it shows you dirty pictures. It's not a Telescope, you look into it, and you you turn the little slider, the little doodad, the gizmo, and it shows you a dirty picture of a lady in her lingerie. Oh, only, oh, oh, you can jerk off with one hand while looking through the telescope huh? Eh, holding it with your other hand. It's a genius invention. It's also a knife. Uh, there is a knife inside the telescope and it's used to kill your enemies. So you buy this thing and you approach your enemy and you tell your enemy, hey, do you want to see a dirty picture of a woman in lingerie? And hopefully your enemy is stupid. And they say, of course, uh, yes, thank you very much, my enemy. And you say, oh, you're, you're very welcome. And, and he, Brings the telescope up to his eye And, and right when he's ooh, Right when he's at his horniest Right when he's about to come you, you press a button on the telescope And a knife blade comes out And you shove it into their neck you just shove, I don't know really how it works. You never actually see it in action. It's a real it's a real failed Chekhov's telescope knife scenario. We never see it in action, it's very disappointing. But I guess the, the knife is supposed to go into the jugular. Ha, you're dead, goodbye. Say hello to God for me, stab, stab, stab. That's all I really have to say regarding the plot of Oklahoma. It is now time to really dig into this particular revival of Rodgers and Hammerstein's classic musical. Before I went to to see this performance, Chris showed me I actually put a screenshot of this on Twitter if you follow us, at Musical Pod, this was a headline for the PBS WTTW review of this production, this touring production of Oklahoma, that headline was as follows, quote National Touring Production of Oklahoma wrecks havoc on a musical theater classic, quote and then we also got a bit of a subhead a bit of a sample from the review itself, quote, the production is a sad introduction for new audience and a spirit-crushing experience for those who have seen Oklahoma many times throughout the years. Quote, I gotta be honest with you, listener. I'm not worried about the legacy of Rodgers and Hammerstein's musical. I don't think anything can tarnish the reputation of a show that is this old, that has stuck around for this long. Oklahoma is not going anywhere, and this revival, which I am dubbing Weird Oklahoma, Weird Oklahoma cannot, it cannot ruin the reputation of this show. I personally am glad Weird Oklahoma exists, and I'm glad I got to see Weird Oklahoma. Admittedly, Weird Oklahoma is basically Awful, it's terrible, I have to say it, but it deserves to exist. We need to let artists swing for the fences. You never know when they're gonna strike out. You never know when they're gonna get a home run. Let's experiment with these old pieces. Why not? You never know what you're gonna discover. My most conservative take regarding this production is that there is way too much sitting. Everybody is sitting at these pristine tables and they're watching everybody else. They're watching these scenes unfold. No matter how you try to slice it, Oklahoma is not a stationary show. This is not a show about people who sit around. No, they always have something to do. They are working outdoors. They are planning box socials. They have lives to lead. They don't just hang around. No, no, no. This is not Brecht. I do not wish to see the cast staring at each other. I sit. I'm the one who sits. I am the one who sits. You, you should be dancing. You should be moving around. Oh, also, in, in regards to the staging, most of the time, the lovers, the people who make up these couples that we talked about in the plot summary, they are about as far apart from each other as they could possibly be without being off stage, And that does not necessarily facilitate any real intimacy. It makes it very hard for the audience to connect with the characters. I don't know. I don't know if this is all part of Daniel Fish's aesthetic. Yes, yes, these characters say they love each other, but they couldn't be more far apart emotionally. Do they really know each other? There's a distance there. There's an intellectual mental distance that they may not be able to bridge. Enough already. Could you just have people be a little bit closer? Can you have them be a little bit closer? Just have them act like fucking human beings sometimes. If you don't want them to do it all the time, fine. But sometimes you have to make them seem like real people. Okay, that's all I have to say, Fish. That's all I have to say. That's not true. I have so much more to say. I want to start with the show's opening number. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Because in retrospect, the way Barbara Walsh delivers the line, Barbara Walsh, who plays Auntie Eller, that's right, Aunt Eller, she delivers the line, scared me half to death, in a way that absolutely should have sent my hackles up. Instead, they just sort of vibrated, because, I don't know, the way she says it, oh god, Curly says something like, hey there, Aunt Eller, and she says it like this, she says the line, scared me half to death, as... Scared me half to death. And that's sort of the modus operandi, the agenda throughout this entire production. The characterizations are strangely cold-blooded and all of the dialogue, not all of it, but a great deal, a great majority of the dialogue is delivered in this very half less way. Would you like to go to the box social? I reckon that would be good. Maybe we could go tomorrow. That sounds good. It has a sort of Meisner quality. Oh my God, I cannot believe I'm just now coming up with this. (laughs) Now my hackles are definitely up. I don't like this. But it has that Meisner repetition. If you have any experience in schooling when it comes to theater techniques and acting techniques, Meisner is a repetition system where you're not supposed to infuse the words coming out of your mouth with any emotion. And you're just supposed to say the words. Say the words and repeat them ad not. The Coat is Blue, The Coat is Blue, The Coat is Blue, The Coat is Blue, No! Too Much Emotion! The Coat is Blue, The Coat is Blue, The Coat is Blue. Perfect! (laughs) Some directors really get off on that, they really want that, and Daniel Fish very obviously, is one of those directors because that is how he has directed most of this cast. It's not great! I'm also fairly certain that the production lost us, lost us as an audience during this opening number because it goes on a little too long, it goes on a little too long, and it is a little too up its own fanny, and I think we all sort of picked up on that. Everybody in the cast seems to be having a really good time, just sort of indulging and just sort of wallowing in this, like, hey! Hey, Ooh, groovy. We're just sort of singing. Hey, there's nothing going on on stage. We're all just sitting at tables looking at each other. It's real boring for you, but trust me. Ooh, if you were up here in our cowboy boots, it would be a wonderful time. Well, I'm glad you're having a wonderful time. I'm not! What about the Surrey with the fringe on top? What about it? Well, I'll tell you what about it because this was red flag numero uno, number one. It involves Curly and Lori and Curly is trying to convince Lori that she should ride with him to the box social. You should come with me, Lori. And it goes on for a really long time and it's very boring and it's not very interesting, mainly because they are about 10,000 feet away from each other, there is no intimacy. There is no connection. And then, at a certain point, Curly turns to the band. The band is on stage with everyone else. And he sort of makes a motion to the band as if to say, and now, this is what we've planned and I'm I'm pointing at you, go. And when he makes that gesture, But the lighting completely changes. We go from the lighting I described previously, which is essentially fluorescent lighting in a college concert hall. I don't mean to. (laughs) I'm really making it seem as if I'm demeaning colleges. I really don't mean to, please. If you know a college concert hall, you know what I'm talking about. It's not really a negative atmosphere. It's not a negative experience. It's a very neutral experience. It's sort of an area that anything can be put into, okay? It's not meant to have a lot of character in and of itself, okay? It's just a space. And that's where we are. But when he makes that gesture, the lighting completely changes. We take away the fluorescent lighting and we replace it with slimer vision. That's the only way I know how to describe it. The entire stage is washed out by this ectoplasm green, neon green. And the shadows are super stark, and it is oppressive and disturbing it's like we are in ooze we have been surrounded by toxic radioactive ooze and i don't know if this is meant to they do this one other time throughout the performance only one other instance and i don't know if this is supposed to be a a more cerebral emotional realm that we've stepped into a hornier emotional plane Curly does get very horny once the lighting goes green he does manage to get very close to lori during that particular moment he's just got his mouth up to hers. Oh boy, it's very steamy. And then once the song is over, the lighting reverts back to its normal state, its normal status. Uh, It's really dumb. It's really (laughs) I nearly laughed out loud. I thought to myself, I am in trouble. We are all in trouble. We all understand that, right? We all understood that in the exact same moment when we went into Slimer ectoplasm vision. Oh boy, that's when we all knew that we were in for a very long, 2 hour and 45 minute experience. An important rule of thumb regarding Weird Oklahoma. Nearly every attempt at experimentation, like Slimer Vision for example, these attempts at experimentation are not thought-provoking. They don't inspire any intellectual conversations. They're just laughable. They're just silly. That's the main word that you should apply to any of these any of these weird moments, they're not interesting. They don't, they don't facilitate anything. You just think to yourself, okay, <laughs> I, I don't mean to be a fucking moron who just sits there going, what's this all about? I, I don't like, what are you trying to do, make me think? <laughs> I know, I know, I, I don't see myself as that. I hope I hope you, the listener, don't view me as some willfully ignorant rube who doesn't want to think. But it doesn't make you think. It just makes you laugh. And honestly, I think the show forfeits any right that it has to intellectual credibility during the, the performance of Kansas City. Kansas City is supposed to be this very comical number in which Will Turner talks all about how, how advanced Kansas City is. Oh, everything's up to date in Kansas City. It's a very lighthearted, silly number. And I think that, you you sort of forfeit intellectual credibility when, when you have Will pick up an ear of corn from that carefully arranged pyramid of corn. I, I think everything goes out the window when he takes that corn cob and puts it up to his cock. That's some low-level Shakespeare shit. I don't like that shit. I don't like it when people put their hands or objects up to their crotches and go, whoop! Uh oh, it's going up and it's pointing toward the sky, just like an erection. Okay, if you wanna do that, no, you don't get to do any weirdo art gallery shit. The corn takes all of that away. Congratulations, you've completely sold yourself out. By doing one of the hackiest, whoriest tricks in the staging book. You're not that smart a director, all right? You're just not. Oh, you should take the corn, and uh, oh, it's me. Oh, you should take the co- Who is me? Who? Oh, it's me. I don't even know who I'm talking about. Don't put the corn up to your crotch, is what I'm saying. And the guy who plays Will Turner, I suppose I can scroll up here and see who that is. Well, not Will Turner. I think I've said Will Turner a few times. Will Parker. And I, I, Will Parker is played by Hennessy Winkler. My my question for Hennessy is how much of the clumsiness in this number was planned? I get the sense that the character is supposed to be clumsy to a certain extent, but how much of it is planned and how much of it is just low-level chaos that this guy is sowing throughout the space? Because he's scuffing up the table, he's kicking over the corn, chairs are going right and left, and the cast seems to, uh, they seem to be trying to keep up with him a little bit. Like, let's clean up this mess a little bit. Oh god, how much of this is actually in his control. Should we be worried? There's a little bit of tension there. It doesn't seem entirely strategically thought out. We briefly, briefly flirt with the idea of a fun afternoon at the theater during I Can't Say No. As I said, if I had to pick an MVP from this cast, it would be Sis. She's playing Ado Annie. And I Can't Say No is a home run number because it's about a gal who's real horny and... (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't love a musical theater broad who's really horny and kind of feels sort of bad about it, but not really? (laughs) At the end of the day, their agenda is, I want dick, I know how to get dick, I'm gonna get dick. It's very much... Always true to you, darling, in my fashion It's very Kiss Me Kate in that way And (laughs) I like the number And Sis is doing a great job with it At one point, she just picks up a microphone Connected to a fucking speaker And she roars that song into that microphone And in that moment, the show turns into, like, a karaoke concert It's really fun And the audience absolutely connected with it But once that was over, (laughs) we never really got back We never really got back to that level of fun, that level of engagement. I want to meditate on the fact that I did have fun. I don't just have negative things to say about this production of Oklahoma. I did have fun for a brief period of time. Red flag number two, oh boy, is absolutely poor Judd is dead. This is when, this is absolutely when the production completely lost me. This is a scene and song sequence. We have a book scene leading into a song, I should say, and it involves Curly and Judd. And traditionally, when this is traditionally staged, Curly goes to Judd. Judd is living in a smokehouse shack, and Curly basically says to Judd, Hey Judd, how you doing? It's great to see you again. Hey, you know what would be great, Judd, is if you killed yourself. If you hung yourself, that would be wonderful because you'd have a big funeral and everyone would cry and sing sad songs and lots of pretty girls would come to your funeral and talk about how much they miss you. Just something to consider. Maybe kill yourself. That sequence always has a sinister undertone. It's not really an undertone. It's right there. It's not subtext. It's hot text, it's right there. But they decided, Daniel Fish, I'm putting all of this on Daniel Fish, he decided that this was going to be the moment when the show really got fucking weird. It begins with, okay, so Curly and Judd are sitting on stage at two of the pristine tables. They're about 10,000 feet away from each other and they stare at each other for an incredibly long time. To a point where I thought that this next moment was mistimed, there was this very strange transition into a total blackout. And this black curtain came down and so it completely cut us off from the stage. I assumed a huge transformation was taking place behind this black curtain and once the curtain was raised we would see how the set had been rearranged. But that did not really happen. When the curtain came up, uh, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. Okay, so I don't want to jump too far ahead because each moment in and of itself is a pocket dimension of insanity. The book scene, we have the book scene with Curly and Judd And for the purposes of this revival, the dialogue is consciously stilted, even more so than what we were used to before. Think David Mamet meets horny ASMR, and the dialogue is being delivered straight into handheld microphones. So it all just sort of sounds like this. Hey, Judd, how are you doing today? Oh, Curly, I didn't see you there. Come on in. Oh, thank you very much. Whoa, those sure are some dirty pictures on your wall. Oh, really? I had never noticed before. Hey, did you ever think about killing yourself? Killing myself? What do you mean? It would be really sad, and everyone would be so sad. I never thought about it that way, Curly. Oh, maybe you should. I will. Okay, cool. Great, cool, great. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) To be sitting in the audience in a total blackout, listening to this dialogue being piped through the sound system. (laughs) It's laughable. It's silly. It's stupid. It's dumb. And then once the song starts, the curtain does come up. The set has not changed at all. The only thing that has changed is the distance between Judd and Curly, because now I I should say... (laughs) I made it seem as if no one ever comes close to each other at all. That's not true. They come close to each other for weird moments. If it's weird, you're close. If it's a traditional kind of normal moment, you're you're ten 10,000 feet away. <laughs> but when the curtain raises, Judd and Curly are sitting on one of the tables really, really close to each other to the point where their dicks are basically touching. They are, they are really just up in each other's balls. And someone has brought out a handheld video camera... That's right, we have a handheld video camera in the mix, my my dear listeners. And they are using this camera to project the image of Judd and Curly up onto the upstage wall. It is an enormous image, an IMAX-level image of these two actors, and it's black and white, it's black and white footage, and we get some of the most extreme close-ups I have ever encountered. Le Miserables, the movie, forget it. You don't know what an extreme close-up is until you see this revival of Oklahoma. I'm not kidding when I say Judd and Curly are are an inch away from kissing by the end of this, and we we focus on their mouths. Just their mouths as they sing to each other. We are so close to kissing. I say, why not have them kiss? Why not? Who cares? I have to say, no one likes handheld camera work as a theatrical device. Can we all get on board for this? No one liked it in the most recent revival of West Side Story, and no one likes it here, because we're not going to the movies. I am not holding a bucket of popcorn, all right? I came to see theater. I wanna look at the actors on stage, all right? This isn't a Celine Dion concert. You don't have to blow them the fuck up, and I don't wanna see their nostril hair. I don't wanna see their their zits, their, their cavities, no thanks, get the fuck away from me, and then, oh boy, as if that wasn't bad enough, then they use gunfire during this sequence as a cheap shock, the gunfire comes out of nowhere, and everyone goes, oh, oh goodness, oh, oh god, gunfire, well, now I'm paying attention, it's so fucking cheap. It's basically like putting an electric shocker under your seat at a fucking movie. It's so lame. And this combination of... Okay, so that's basically my description of that whole sequence. It's terrible. And this combination of a total blackout and ASMR dialogue is used again. They do it again in Act 2 because Judd and Lori make out in the dark. And at one point you hear a belt buckle being undone. So it's like... And then you hear, Rinka tink tink! Rika, tink tink! I'm the belt! Rinka tink tink! I'm being undone! And then Lori goes, Oh no! I, I guess she doesn't want to fuck him. She just wants to make out with him a little bit just to see what that's like. She's not interested in fucking Judd. And, oh, he gets real mad. He's like, Oh! You think you can just give me your sloppy kisses? Oh, how dare you? (laughs) I'm going to get even with you. Oh, boy. I was not interested in reheating that concept for a second helping. When we went into a total blackout again, I went, oh, my God. (laughs) Are you kidding me? (laughs) I can't do this again. You're killing me. (laughs) Oh, man. But that is only the, that's really only the second of three red flags. Number three, red flag number three is the biggest by far if you think i had no patience for the poor Judd is dead sequence the dream ballet wow we came out of intermission and the show officially said fuck you we are taking this train off the rails and if you don't like it you can absolutely go screw (laughs) the dream ballet was an absolute Nightmare. I'm going to describe it point for point because you may never see this production. I don't know if it's coming to your area. You deserve to know how bad this is. The Dream Ballet basically has a three-act structure unto itself. Just when you think it's ending, it starts all over again and it starts... (laughs) Okay, so the Act 1 finale is a song for Lori called Out of My Dreams and when we come out of intermission and we begin Act 2, the entire cast assaults us. They come marching downstage toward the apron and we are talking as one. We are walking toward the apron and talk yelling at you. We are quoting lyrics from the song you most recently heard Out of My Dreams and now we're at the apron, staring at you, judgmentally. Why are we mad at you? We have no idea. It's just what we've been told to do. Cue the fog machine. That's right. There are fog machines all over the place. The space is completely consumed by fog, and we get the dirtiest rock guitar licks you have ever heard in your life. Meow, 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 meow. Meow, meow, meow. Meow, 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 meow. Doo doo do, doo do, doo do, doo 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 There are no cat sirens. (laughs) I just threw those in there. But there are absolutely helicopter blade effects. There is, oh my gosh, I don't know why, but we are fully in Saigon. We are in Vietnam. We are in apocalypse now. For the purposes of this sequence, I am not exaggerating. That is absolutely what they are trying to evoke and the, I'll say this again, the whole spirit seems to be, go fuck yourself. Oh, you wanted a traditional dream ballet? No, go fuck yourself. Lead dancer Gabrielle Hamilton, at this point, she comes into the space, she's barefoot, she's wearing nothing but this oversized, very, very shiny, I wish I knew the type of material this shirt is made out of, but it shines in a sort of rainbow fish way. When light hits it, you sort of get this rainbow glimmer, glitter effect, and the shirt shirt says, there is text on the shirt, and it either says dream your dream or dream baby dream. I'm actually, I think it actually might be dream baby dream. The shirt reminded me of the old Frankie Says Relax shirts, if you have any point of reference for that. I don't even really. I think I was a little too young to really know what those shirts were in the moment. But anyway, I wouldn't be surprised if you told me Hamilton made this dance up on the spot. She is galloping around like she's on horseback. Haya, hey We've got ballet, we've got modern, we've got gymnastics, we've got calisthenics, we've got jazzercise. <sighs> and I will say that toward the end of this very protracted sequence, she is just... It's gonna sound like I'm making it up, but I'm not. You have to believe me. She is scooting around on her butt like she is a dog. You know how a dog scoots around on their butt sometimes and it's weird to watch. Well, that's what she does, and she does it for a not- short period of time. She goes all the way upstage and she comes back all the way downstage, And it's, it's, it's a bad, oh, it's bad. It's really bad. I don't mean to demean Hamilton. I'm sure it's very obvious that she has skill as a dancer and I'm glad that she got this opportunity. But what she's being asked to do is, I'll say it again, it's silly and it's dumb and it's laughable. The dancing goes on for a while, as I said, and, uh, and then at a certain point, oh yes, okay, here we go. We bust out the camera again. The handheld camera camera comes out again and we're filming Hamilton as she dances and her image is being projected onto the wall and then (sighs) and then 10 cowboy boots just fall from the sky clump (laughs) someone somewhere up in the rafters I don't know if there's a lever I don't know if there are I don't know if there are multiple people up there in the rafters holding the boots, but uh, they all drop clump. How is this not a parody? One of the cast members removed the boots from the stage by crawling on his belly, much like a soldier would crawl under barbed wire during the heat of battle. Ah, it's D-Day. It's oh, it's it's the fall of Saigon. I'm on my belly. I'm every soldier from every war. Ga 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 ga. I got to get these boots. Oh, the general said to get the boots. Ga 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 ga. Oh no, the Tommy guns. Ga 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 ga. And the fogman machines, they totally reactivate at a certain point. And then at the end, someone just says, wake up from your dream, Lori. It's time for the box social. Ah, yes, a dream. Emphasis on dream. It's a dream ballet, isn't it? Well, why don't we make it as weird as a dream sometimes is? You know how you dream sometimes, and it's really weird? Well, that's what we were going for. It sucks. This shit like this is why people hate theater. It's they think all theater is like this. That's why they don't like to go. (laughs) Stop, stop. Stop making theater like this, all right? And then people might want to go more. They might want to go more, is what I'm saying. And then the last sequence that I want to describe, (laughs) I guess I would count this as red flag number four. It's neater if it's a trilogy of red flags, but this did not work for me either, so we might as well put a red flag in this too. It's the final confrontation between Curly and Judd. This comes right at the end of the show. Oh boy, Judd interrupts the wedding of Curly and Lori. He's wearing a nice brown suit. The way, I I really should say, the way they make Judd look in terms of the hair and costume design, they make this guy seem like a real drip, like an emo, long-haired, maybe a former skater, very sensitive Judd. The sort of Judd who works in a video store in the 90s and is just really sort of quiet. Maybe he writes poetry in a moleskin. I'm Judd, I'm supposed to be a farmhand, and yet I weigh maybe 42 pounds. I have long, silky hair that's been... Washed. He's a very pretty Judd. So this transformation into, oh, well, he's wearing a suit. It doesn't really mean anything because he was never dirty. He never had the aesthetic or the aura of a real working guy. So it doesn't really matter when he shows up in a tuxedo. Anyway, he's holding a box. What's in the box? What's in the box? He kisses Lori and he hands Curly the box and he says, this is a gift. Curly opens it, there's a gun, and then they stand about 10,000 feet away from each other. And Lori stands in front of Judd for a moment. She goes to Judd and just sort of stands in front of him, and she stares at him. Then she crosses the stage so she can stand next to Curly. And Judd never makes a move toward Curly. That is very important, okay? There is no struggle. There is no attack on Judd's part. He is permanently frozen in place when Curly decides to shoot him in cold blood. It's heavily implied earlier in the show that Curly was sitting in the shadows and he was bearing witness when Judd and Lori were making out. You remember that moment? Um, um, uh, reek a Tink? i am the belt. It's heavily implied that Curly witnessed this from the darkness, from the shadows. So maybe, I guess we're supposed to think that Curly has this, this terrible rage inside of him, and he doesn't like the fact that Judd touched his bride, and so that's why he shoots him in cold blood, and I guess the real question is, oh, Lori, who's the real monster here? Did you wind up with the real monster? You thought Judd was the monster, but what if Curly was the monster? Is Curly America? <laughs> it's, I don't know. I don't know what we're meant to think. Again, it's brainless. It's stupid, but when he shoots Judd, when Curly shoots Judd, there is this special effect that is truly wild, and they pull it off really well, but this is Grindhouse. This is is total grindhouse material because I like to think that this is how it works when he pulls the trigger on the gun and shoots Judd. I like to think that a Splatter a V spray of blood comes out of the back of the gun. That's probably not how this works I, I don't know how I'm, I'm no expert. Curly and Lori are completely covered in blood, and they are wearing, respectively, Curly is wearing a white suit, and Lori is wearing a white bridal gown. So now, they are completely, their faces are pure red. Most of the blood goes completely over every inch of their faces. So, it's truly wild to see them in this moment. Lori is shaking. She is completely vibrating from the violence of the moment. She will be scarred for the rest of her life. And what does Judd do in this moment? Well, he's been shot, of course. I I thought that there would be like a spreading blood effect, but there's really just like this tiny pin spot of blood on him. He seems to be otherwise clean. Most of the blood, as I said, goes on Curly and Lori, but Judd just calmly walks downstage and he gently places himself on the ground and he assumes a, a coffin position and he, he might as well say, I am dead now. That's when everyone in the town within the reality of Oklahoma decides, it was self-defense, right? Okay, all right, we can't bring Carly up on murder because it's self-defense. And in a traditional staging, there are characters who say, well, that's kind of a, a weird thing to say. Do we really know if that's true? Is this maybe a little bit more morally gray than what we're trying to make it out to be? And everyone in the town tells those people to shut up they say shut up it's his wedding night he deserves to be with his bride on his wedding night and so we are all going to agree it was self-defense and that Judd attacked Curly okay Curly had to kill Judd because Judd was out of his mind he was out of his mind he was attacking Curly in a traditional staging there is a weird sort of unsettling atmosphere that sort of surrounds this moment you know as an audience that this is not exactly justice this is not a straight end narrative path that we are walking, this revival just decides to really, really underscore that. Because everyone in the town is very cryptic and very creepy, and they all say things like it was self-defense. They say it like this, shut up. Everyone knows we're all monsters. There is no morality, okay? This is the wild frontier. Murder is fine. Murder is fine. We will bury the secret until we are all buried. No room for subtlety in this revival. No room, no room at all, okay? I love the fact that this show thinks it's so probing, so thought-provoking, but it's actually very condescending. There is no trust on the part of Daniel Fisher that we will be able to pick up on these themes, these ideas ourselves. No, we are stupid. We have to have everything stripped away and shown to us, shoved in our faces. It's so frustrating. And then during the final reprise of the title song, Oklahoma, Lori looks like she's going to puke. (laughs) She's singing, you're doing fine, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, O-K-L-A-H-O, oh God, oh God. I don't mean to project, but the cast seems to understand this is bullshit. I've been in the position where realizing a director is highly particular vision involves doing a lot of stupid shit on stage Uh, that is confounding to general audiences. I can recognize that look in an actor's eye from a mile away because that look has been within my own eyes. In summary, I will say this. No one needed to tear Oklahoma apart in order to expose its troubling guts. I've, I've basically already made this point, but I'd like to make it again. The worrisome dynamics and moral grays were always there for those who wished to explore them and examine them, and those who had no interest in doing so could simply kick back and have a good time. This revival does not want you to kick back and have a good time. Yeah, there's a little bit of comedy. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, you can breathe for a second. But... At the end of the day, you have to eat your fucking vegetables. You have to eat your experimental theater vegetables. It's for your own good. You have to see the dark underbelly of this show. It's rotten and you will look at the fucking worms. Ooh, the worms eating at the flesh of Roger and Hammerstein. <laughs> I would have respected this more if the concept involved people in a bomb shelter putting on a production of Oklahoma with, you know, whatever they happen to have lying around the bomb shelter. I came up with that because I was in the audience and I came up with that because I was so fucking bored. That concept doesn't have, it doesn't leave a lot of room for Vietnam references. I suppose you could find a way to shove them in there. <laughs> I don't know. This is how our rating system works, okay? We work on a system of letters, all right? If I give a show this rating, B-I-C, if I give a show a BIC rating, that means it's a classic. Oh, my God. This production was essentially perfect from... Oh, stem to stern, if I give it a BI, just a BI, that means it was good. If I give a production a B rating, just a lone, solitary B, that means it's a middling production, mediocre, mediocre. And if I give, no letters at all. No B, no I, no C, no letters at all. That means the show was terrible. It was awful. And I will say this again, I'm glad that Weird Oklahoma exists. It deserves to exist. It's awful, and so I give it no letters. That's the first time we've ever done this. I don't do this lightly. I don't like to be cruel. I don't like to be laughing and parading about anger and cynicism. I don't like to throw those around as if it's as if it's easy. It breaks my fucking heart. I didn't want to. I didn't want to be on this side of the line. But I'm here. You have to have an honest an honest reaction, right? That was my honest reaction. Coming up, I'm done. No more about Oklahoma. We have to look to the future. The next episode of Broadway in Chicago, the Broadway in Chicago review series, is going to drop on February 9th, and it's going to be dedicated to hairspray oh my gosh i was not really all that excited about hairspray until i walked out of oklahoma i am ready for a traditional right down the middle musical comedy i am excited i have optimism june is going to be busting out all over in february so we'll see you on february 9th thank you for listening thank you for donating my goodness you're fantastic i'll see you on february 9th for hairspray bye bye